0: Uh, since yeah, I guess since 1995, off and on during that time, Emily and I have have been able to go to Israel. And so, uh, whenever we go there, there's some you go to the, you really you go some great obviously great places whenever you're there. You go to like Bethlehem and Jerusalem. You go to the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, you go to the place where Jesus fed the 5,000. All these incredible places. And uh, so I actually, I've never done this before, but I'm going to show you all just a few pictures of when we were there this past, uh, this past year. So we'll just, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll comment on each one of them. Uh, so we'll go ahead and throw up a couple of those pictures uh, now, I hope. Yeah, there's, uh, that's obviously me and uh, my girlfriend. Uh, Emily, also known as my wife, and so we are standing, we're just right outside of Nazareth, and we're standing on a cliff, and uh, it's overlooking that that part in the background, that is, uh, that's Armageddon, the Valley of Armageddon, and then uh, that's just a mountain that looking from that cliff over, that is Mount Tabor, and if you look it up in your Bible, you can read some uh, different stories about it, let's see what else we got here, Um, Emily was like, damn man, you're gonna bore him to death, but I I don't really care, Uh, this right here is a field, and that is where they believe Jesus fed the 5,000. Which is just a really, really uh, cool thing. All right, that is the Jordan River, and uh, so there uh, we had some people in our church this past year who were baptized, um, and so that's where that have that's where Jesus was baptized right there in the Jordan River, and then uh, I took that picture, so I'm very proud of myself, and uh, that is actually from that is the Dead Sea uh, right out there, just an absolutely beautiful area. And then these last couple of pictures that we're going to show here. Oh yeah, this is a uh, this is from the uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane, from the Mount of Olives, and we are uh, there's a big valley there, and that's uh, that gold uh, dome there is where the temple used to be, and that's in uh, of course in Jerusalem. And then this last picture is a picture of my dad teaching in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and I wanted to to end on that picture because if you look in your bulletin, you're going to see that that what we're talking about on the road to the resurrection is the road to the resurrection begins in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane is just, I mean, it's a place that I'm sure that you've probably heard about, but you might wonder, well, what is the significance for us? Well, this is where it all began, the road to the resurrection. And, of course, the resurrection is tremendously important to us because of what happened. I mean, as Jesus went to the cross... He, he was hung on a cross, he died, he was placed in a grave, and then three days later, he came to life again. And, and that message right there is what gives believers hope because we believe that what happened to Jesus whenever he was raised from the dead, that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is one day going to raise followers of Christ from the dead so that we can live forever in heaven. We're told in Romans 6, 4, "...therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death." In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. Now that's an incredible message when you really think about it. But, but here's what I believe happens to a lot of us, and myself included. And that is that we get so used to the message of Easter. So used to saying that Jesus, he lived, he died, and he rose again. That it, it, really, it really doesn't have any impact on us anymore. It's like we're ordering something off of the menu at San Jose's, and it's just, we just do it by rote, and there's not, there's not the power that's there, by, according to what Scripture has to say. And so my hope is, as we are moving towards the resurrection, that we will begin to have a, a more of an appreciation and see the, you know, really just the, the nuts and bolts that went with the journey and the road to the resurrection. And so today, we're going to see that the road to the resurrection, it began in the Garden of Gethsemane. And my guess is that some of you are probably, you know, you're probably familiar with the Garden of Gethsemane. But when it comes down to it, you're like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not real sure, though, of, of what the significance is of what took place there. And what took place there, it's, it's where Jesus made a very important decision. And that decision was that he's going to go to the cross. But he made a very important decision that has impacted mankind. And so we're going to look at Jesus' journey here, I mean, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have your Bible and you want to look there, we'll look in Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to look in verse number 36. Now as you're turning there, the Garden of Gethsemane, of course you saw that picture where that gold dome was. We took it from the, from the garden area, it's on the, it's on the Mount of Olives. And so you're overlooking the, the Kidron Valley. And what had taken place in the verses before they actually got to the garden is Jesus had celebrated a Passover meal with his disciples. And, of course, this part that we celebrate today, which is known as the Lord's Supper or Communion or Eucharist. You might remember Jesus was with his disciples, and they were meeting in a home, and Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which has been broken for you. And he was symbolizing to his disciples that he was getting ready To have his body broken for them on the cross. And then he took the wine and he said, this wine, it is is my blood which is being spilled or shed for you. And he was letting them know that he was going to spill his blood in order to make atonement for the sins of mankind. Now this message for the disciples, it it was a distressing message. Because they thought Jesus was going to crown himself king. But now he's telling them, I'm getting ready to go to the cross and I'm going to die like a common criminal. But it's in this story, and it's here in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see sort of a different side of Jesus. You know, instead of seeing him as, as, a, as a guy who is just like the, the son of God, who's just simply going to go to the cross, he's going to die and he's going to raise from the grave, what we're going to see in the garden is we are going to see the humanity of Jesus. And in looking at his humanity, we're going to see that, that Jesus was a man like us in that he experienced emotions like we did and so as we are on this road to the resurrection I want us just simply to take a look at a few of the emotions that Jesus experienced in the garden and the very first emotion I want us to see that he experienced was this as, as we are moving towards the crucifixion Jesus experienced agony from the very beginning as he's moving to the cross if you look in verse 36 It says, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Now as Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he's getting ready to pray. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which, by the way, is located on the Mount of Olives. Now, the name lets you know that there was a whole lot of olives there. Now, there's a bunch of olive trees. Even to this day, there are olive trees all over the Mount of Olives. And uh, olives were very much a part, an important part of the economy of Israel during this time. Um, let, let me share with you uh, what they would do. Farmers would go out and they would, they, would, they would shake or hit on the olive trees and the ripe olives would fall down from the trees. And then they would gather them up and they would place them on this like uh, the, this stone slab and there would be a millstone that would run over the olives. And as they would run over the olives, of course, the juice would come out of the olives. And that, that olive oil uh, would, would be used for, for several different purposes. Uh, it could be used to, you know, for fuel, to light lamps, it was used for food purposes, it was, had medicinal qualities, they'd use it for medicine. Uh, of course, whenever they would anoint kings, they would use olive oil in order to do that. So there's a lot of different uses for, uh, for the olives. Now, you might say, well, that's interesting, but what's the point? Okay, so here's what's interesting to me. So Jesus is at the Garden of Gethsemane. That word Gethsemane, it means olive press. And so Jesus went to the olive press. Now, before you get the benefits and the power that comes from an olive, you first of all have to crush it in order to get the oil out of it. And so I do believe that it's symbolic that when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, you see, before we could ever get all of the quality and all the benefits out of the life of Jesus, Jesus, first of all, like those olives, had to be crushed. And so that's the significance of him being at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now my hope is that we're not going to look at the resurrection and the story of the cross with too clinical of an eye uh, by removing the emotion out of this event. I mean, it's not like Jesus just went, went, to, the, went to the cross like he was a robot, I mean, whenever Jesus went there, he is, he is a man. He understands and he feels emotion. Matter of fact, if you look in verse 37, as Jesus and his disciples were going off to pray, it says that Jesus became, started to become sorrowful and deeply distressed. And that phrase means to be pressed down. It means to be pressed down like you were in an olive press. It means to be pressed down so hard that you're experiencing suffering. Jesus was told, or told his disciples, that he was so overwhelmed that his soul was swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. So in other words, Jesus, as he's going towards the cross, he's in agony here. And I look at that and I think, why is he in agony? I mean, he's the son of God, he can do whatever he wants to do. Maybe he's, a, he's a king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he is divine. But what this text is showing me, that Jesus is also human. John 1.14, it says that God entered into our world with flesh. He experienced emotions just like we do. I mean, Philippians 2.5-8, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant or a man. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, now what does all this mean? It means that Jesus, while he was fully divine, we see that he was also fully human. And so if you're fully human, it means you're going to feel things. It means you're going to have emotion. And so we see that Jesus, he said, I am distressed. But he was distressed because he knew, one, that physical pain was coming his way. But he was also distressed spiritually because he knew he was taking on the sin of man in order to pay for our redemption, to pay for our sins. And so for the first time, Jesus would be carrying Sin. Same story is found in Luke twenty two forty four, And we see there the incredible agony Jesus was in. It says, speaking of Jesus, being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's agony. I mean, as Jesus is praying, as he's facing the cross, it says that in his sweat there was blood. And I thought about that, and I began to wonder, I was like, can can I really think of any times when I've seen somebody who is willing to undergo agony in order to bless somebody else's life? And I thought of several examples, but I thought of one in particular that I think a whole lot of us can identify with. That's childbirth. Uh, Any of you are getting ready to have children, you might want to get up at this point and just leave. But I, I thought about I thought about childbirth, and I remember whenever um, Emily had had our, our first child since she had Hank, we were on the way to the hospital, and, and Emily woke me up in the middle of the night, and it was scary. It was especially scary for me because I didn't I didn't know what was going on, and so you know so I was trying to calm her down, and uh, so you know she, she's like I'm not feeling I'm I'm kind of hurting here, and so we got in the car and we you know and I drove really fast, and we got to the hospital, and y'all you know, this hospital it was way you know, we lived in we lived just outside of Egypt. Um, in eastern North Carolina, there is nothing. I used to drive 10 miles to get gas, I'm not lying, uh, from our house. And so we, we're nowhere in North Carolina, and we drive up to the emergency room, and there's a nurse standing outside the emergency room. And, of course, we're in North Carolina, so, of course, she's standing there smoking a cigarette. It's like 2 in the morning, and she's smoking, and she goes, Hey, honey, she said, Is this your first kid? I said, It is. And she said, Just drop her off. It's going to be a long time. And so, I, you know, I don't know. So I just, you know, Emily gets out of the car, and I drive off, and I look back, and I just see, a, you know, a haze of smoke And Emily, you know, going into the hospital. And uh, so I park my car, and then I come in. But whenever I'm coming in, Emily is already having the baby. She has children really fast. Now, what I learned is that because she had them fast, there's a shot that they can give you before you have a baby that's known as an epidural. It is apparently, it is like the nectar of the gods when you're going to have children. She didn't get to have that. And so it was horrible for me. And so I'm sitting there, and, uh, you know, she's having that baby. <laughs> and, uh, man, it was, it was scary, but she had it really fast. So the second kid, okay, here's my goal. So Glenn comes along. The second goes, whenever Glenn's born, uh, we're going to get to the hospital early. Well, again, it just, she went into labor really fast again, and we get to the hospital, and, you know, she has a kid again, just like that. She didn't get the shot. Okay, so that's not good. So then, you know, so then third time, Janie's coming along. We're getting to the hospital early. And the doctor said, if, you don't, if your wife's not here early, you're going to deliver the baby. And I was like, no, that's not happening. And so before she went into labor, we got to the hospital. And it was great because she got, she, got she got that shot. But the problem was, for some reason, she went, right after she got the shot, she went to labor. And so before it kicked in, the epidural kicked in after Janie was born. <laughs> so, so three times. You know, three times. I was in agony three times before <laughs> any of our children were born. So all that stuff happened, but, but here's the deal. Now, all you ladies who've had children, you know this. Before there's ever life, there's agony, right? I mean, there, there is, there, there, there's pain that's associated with it. Now, on a much grander scale, this what Jesus did. Jesus endured the agony of the cross that we might have life. Hebrews twelve two says, let us fix our eyes on him, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So understand that as we are moving to the, to the resurrection or we're moving to the cross, we have to understand Jesus, Jesus, there's the humanity of Jesus. Jesus had emotion. And he didn't just go to the cross like a robot. He went, he went, he went fully God, but he also went as fully man, and he experienced agony. And We need to understand that. Be appreciative of that. Then another motion that, that Jesus had as he went to the cross is he experienced it was intensity. There's, there's a, an intensity with Jesus as he's moving towards the cross. In verse 39 it says, going a little further, he fell face down and he prayed. Now when it says he fell face down, this is what's interesting about Gethsemane. It means olive press. When he fell face down, what that phrase means, it means that he was crushed. When he fell face down, he was crushed to the ground because he is going to be carrying the weight of sin. He is being pressed like an olive. And so that's what the scripture is telling us. Verse 39, he fell face down and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he asked Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is, and again, a second time, he went away and he prayed, and he is crushed down to his knees again. He says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. And after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing Once more. Now, now what we're seeing in these verses, we're seeing the intensity of the moment. Jesus is experiencing it. He goes and he's praying to God, saying, Lord, if if this cup can pass from me, let it happen. And and it's such a burden on him that he's being crushed down into the ground because he understands he's going to be carrying the weight of man's sin. On his shoulder. So as he's experiencing and feeling this enormous pressure that he's going to be carrying, what does Jesus do? He begins to talk to God. Now, now why is he talking to God? Well, he's talking to God because, you know, whenever you experience agony and whenever there's intensity in your life, there's one thing that we all want, and that we want relief. If I'm going through pain, And I'm getting ready to face scary moments. What what I'm looking for is I am looking for somebody to give me relief from the pressure. That's what Jesus did. And if you look in verse 39, here's what he does. He prays to him and says, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, now what is the cup? I think I can get the general idea of it, but it's actually a metaphor. And in the prayer, Jesus recognized that, that God was getting ready to hand him a cup of judgment. Now the Bible lets us know that God is a loving God. There's no doubt about it. But, there is a, but y'all, there's also another side of God that is that. He's a just God. You, know, you really can't be loving if you're not just. And, and so we see that God is a just God. And whenever there's sin, whenever we break and move away from God, God says there will be justice and I will judge. So what does Jesus do? He says, Lord, I will take the cup. Now, this cup of judgment is mentioned in Psalm 75. Psalm 75, verses 6 through 9, it says, No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges He brings one down, he exalts another, and in the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth will drink it down to its very dregs. God says, this cup of judgment, the wicked will drink the cup of judgment down to its very dregs. Okay, Here's what Jesus does. Jesus steps in and says, give me the cup of judgment. He says, and I will drink it down to its very dregs, so that there is nothing left for those who follow me. To drink," he says I. "Will take on all the judgment upon myself that you might be free. Now that's the kind of pressure Jesus is under. He's like, I will take the cup for everybody. Now how could he take the cup for everybody? It's because of who he is. Who is he? He's the perfect, the perfect Son of God, who lived without sin, who could be the perfect sacrifice. We're told this in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 10, 10-12, says, By this will of God we've been sanctified to the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins, but this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of God. Now if we're, we're going to have freedom what it was going to take was Jesus paying the price. So I look into our text I see Jesus is it's, it's a very intense moment from him. He says, "Lord, if this moment can pass for me, let it. God, if man can be redeemed in any other way, allow that to happen." Now, if, that's, if that was Jesus' thought process, then, then I get that. But then Jesus follows it up with very important statement here. He says, but not my will, but as you will. And so to fortify himself in what he was doing, we see that Jesus began to pray. He's calling out to God. In verse 42, 42, he goes back and he prays again. In verse number 44, he goes back and we're told that he prayed the same thing again. And it's in the midst of all this intensity, what Jesus is doing is he's anchoring himself down in communication with God. Because he knows if I keep my eyes on God, then all the other stuff that I'm worried about, I can put that to the side and say, Lord, not my will, but what you want. And he goes back and he looks to the disciples. He said, Join with me in prayer. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Now it's easy to be real hard on them about sleeping, but, but in the book of Luke, it says that they had become exhausted because of sorrow. They're tired. When Jesus says, I'm going to die, I mean, they are shattered. And so they are sleepy, but Jesus hangs in there. And he says, listen, I want you to place your focus upon God because whenever you look to him, regardless of what your circumstances are, it, it is so much easier for you not to, not to wander off and do your own thing and wander off with all the what-ifs if you just simply keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, how good are you at doing that? Keeping your eyes on Jesus regardless of circumstances? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't take long for me to get distracted. Um, I get, I can get distracted by just about anything. You know, I've. I told the first service this morning. There'll be times we'll be just. We'll be driving along, down the road. And if we. If we go by, if we're happen to be driving out, and it's one of my. My friends, he's actually here. Uh, Peb. Peb. Whenever we, we're driving on the road, I, I see a big field now, and instead of me looking at the road anymore, I'm looking over in the field, wondering if there's any turkeys or deer. You know, because i not like I'm going to hunt there, you know, when I'm on my way to, you know, Atlanta. But I'm just curious. And so when that happens, I'll look over, and the next thing I know, my car, I, it's weird how when you drive, you're, you drift in the way you're looking. You know, I sat there and it's, and it's like, you keep your eyes on the road. Now, if I'm going to quit drifting, I need to keep my eyes on the road. If I'm going to quit drifting spiritually, I must, I, I've got to keep my eyes Upon, upon God and what he says. Now, now, Jesus wanted to be ready for what was coming, so he said, I'm going to keep my eyes on you, Lord. Not what I will, but what you will. So as, as we're moving to the resurrection, I understand that, that, that there's some things that are going on here. We understand that Jesus, he had emotion, just like you and me. And, and he was experiencing agony. And there's an intensity in this moment, because it was so monumental. But then here's, here's the last thing. The last emotion I see that Jesus had as he's moving to the resurrection is this. It's the most important one. He had resolve. Jesus had resolve as he's moving to the cross. And If you go back to verse, 30, verse 39, it says, Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then in verse, uh, verses 45 and 46, it says, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the time is near. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. My betrayer is near. Now, whenever I look at verse 39, it looks like Jesus is a reluctant participant in the, in the, in the crucifixion. It's like, Lord, if you can remove this cup from me, do it. Looks like he's, you know, he's like, hey, I'm not real interested in this, so if you can, let's just go ahead and just skip over this. Now, whenever I look at this text, what I see here, I I see so much of the humanity of Jesus here. He had real feelings. And and it's so easy to get, we just get so used to, yeah, Jesus died for me. Like it was no big deal to Jesus. That was a big deal. I mean, you read this text, Jesus is suffering here. He knows what's coming. He's experiencing this. He's getting ready to take the weight of the world upon his shoulders. And for the first time, to be separated from God. He knows that he's getting ready to go to the cross. Where he is, before he ever gets to the cross, do you understand? Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life. And he knows it's coming. When he goes to the cross, after they make him carry his cross, and it just totally humiliated, they they took nails and they, they mocked him, they spit in his face, they ripped his beard out. And they get nails, and they, they drive him into his hands. They drive him to his feet. As he's going to the cross, they get, a, they get thorns, a crown of thorns, and they jam him onto his head. As he's hanging onto the cross, they, they grab a spear, and they ram it into his side. These are all the things that Jesus knows he's going to face. And he says, if this cup can pass for me, let it. I mean, do you understand that? I get it. But then we see the divinity of Jesus in the next statement. And Jesus knows all of this, and he says, But not my will, but yours. And Jesus wasn't just all talk. He's not saying, Yeah, I'm committed to what you want me to do, Lord, he's about action. You see the resolve of Jesus in verses 45 and 46. And this is an interesting verse. When you get down to 46, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I'm getting ready to be be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And Jesus says, get up, let's go. Now, I've always read, when I was a kid, I'd read that and I'd think, Jesus is trying to get out of Dodge. Hey, my betrayer's coming. Let's get out of here. That's not what it means. You know what it means? It's game time. He said, get up. My betrayer's here. It's time for me to fulfill my purpose. It wasn't, I'm running away. Now, you want to talk about somebody who has strength? That's Jesus. Get up. Let's go. Let's do this. You see, Jesus knew what his purpose was. Matter of fact, the very first time John the Baptist saw Jesus... He sees Jesus walking along, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, getting ready to be arrested, in Luke nine fifty one, it says, When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. That, that word determined, it means that there was nothing that was going to keep Jesus away from going to the cross. That word determined, in other translations of the Bible, it says he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. That means that his face was set like stone towards Jerusalem. There was nothing that was going to keep him from going to the cross. Not even his emotions. He's said, like, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. He was anchored in his decision he was immovable you know one of my favorite stories about how some ranchers will break wild horses is that take some wild horses and they say they will, they will oftentimes will uh, tie them or harness them to a donkey and then they'll just let them out of the pen he said rancher said you'll watch when that horse you know, he is bucking and going crazy yeah he's yanking the donkey everywhere trying to get away from him trying to kick him, whatever. He said, you'll watch them, they'll go over the horizon. You don't see him. He goes, I don't see him for a couple days. He goes, after a couple days, he goes, I'm sitting there and he goes, and I'll I'll see see them coming back. And he said, and the donkey's always in front. He said, just, he's just pulling that horse along. So the horse has got his head down and he's just trotting along behind that donkey. So you now what happens is that donkey kicks and bucks and does he throws everything he's got at that donkey and he finally begins to realize that donkey's not ever going to give up. That donkey, he's he's just always going to be here, and then he submits himself finally. Okay, now in a sense that, that is what's going on here as we go to the cross. The world and the devil will throw everything; they they threw everything at Jesus. They're like they're like a wild horse. Bucking and braying and kicking out at Jesus, throwing agony and death and fear and everything they can think of at Jesus. But Jesus set his face. Jesus set his face towards the battle and he walked straight into it. You see that the battle is is to the determined, it's not to the outraged. The battle is to the committed. It's not to the dramatic. And as you read the part of the road to the resurrection, this part of it, it looks like Jesus is being led to the slaughter here. You can read on. You just read on from Matthew 26. You'll see he is going to the slaughter. And he had emotion about that. It's not like he was passive and just like, yeah, I know what happens. No big deal. He's agony. He sweat drops of blood. There's intensity that's there. But he was resolved Now, when Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross as the Lamb of God. But here's some of the good news. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see that when Jesus went to the cross, he went as a lamb. But we are going to see that he will emerge as the lion. He goes as a lamb. He comes out as the lion. And that's why he went to the cross. Because he knows, he knew victory would come through him so as we move to Easter y'all it's not just some of some little story that we tell every year there is power in the story of Easter because it is Easter that gives you and me hope Jesus conquered death and destroyed the power of sin for those who will call in the name of Jesus and so what we must figure out is will we call in the name of Jesus Will we follow Jesus? Because there is only victory in him.